Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. remembrance and heartache that that uh, a lot of people still face in in our country that uh that we will uh remember and pray for and our leaders and and let's pray that God will touch them and and in a way uh our innocence was lost that day and but God is God and and he knows everything and he knows how to heal everything he is the healer of the broken so he can touch us. Let's pray for today and that every bit of ministering that goes forth, that God could touch us, touch our mouth and direct and guide us and touch the Sunday school in the back and everything that's done today for we want his will and his purpose that we're just not wandering. We want his will and his anointing to be placed on us. Hallelujah. So let's pray. God of heaven, we love you today. We love you, holy Jesus. And Father, we thank you most of all that we still have a place together, God. And Father, we thank you for America, Lord God, for what it is and what it stands for. So we ask you to touch America, God. Touch our country, Lord God. Touch the hurts, Lord God. The bruises is still there, Lord God. I pray that you minister, Lord God, to each and every one. Touch those, Lord God, that are still hurting, Lord God. I pray that you minister healing and hope and strength, Lord God. I pray that you touch right now, Lord God, that you would touch our leaders, Lord God, each and every one of them, Lord God. Give direction and hope and guidance, Lord God. Touch us as the body of Christ, Lord God. Touch us this day. We need you, God. We need your strength and anointing, Lord God. For, Father, we are nothing without you, Lord God, but we are everything with you, Lord God. Touch us today, God. Have your way, Lord God. Minister to each and every one. Open our minds and our hearts, Lord God, that we may receive instruction, Lord God, and hide this in our heart, Lord God, I pray. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray this day. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I know a lot has went on this weekend with our men's conference and with what the women went to in Gainesville, so there might be some spiritual jet lag, but uh, we thank you for being here, and so we pray that the Lord would touch, and I know he will. Um, I just do want to say, regarding what happened, and it's just years ago, but um, we do have an enemy, and it's one that uh, we do face, and and sometimes we do as the old saying says, we do scratch our head about it. But uh, just like in spiritual terms, we do fight a real enemy. But in our country, it's, it's, it's just one that, it's just like sin, you just cannot leave alone. Um, you have to deal with it, whether you want to or not. Um, I told you some weeks ago about the man from Australia Josh Sheehan that took his motorcycle he practiced one year on this jump and flipped his dirt bike 
in three backflips three times. Um, and what's happened since then is he is very talented uh, on a dirt bike. And in events that he goes to, these events are called freestyle. And what I mean by that is the rider goes out and they do not restrict what they do on a dirt bike. They go out, there's been riders killed doing this. They go out and you do whatever trick you've practiced. There is, like I say, there is no restrictions. It is very, very, it's life and death. And and the trick that you do, you are judged. Literally, if you get off a little bit on your trick and the judges pick up on it, you are marked off from it. And it's that critical. But what has haunted this young man that did the three backflips is that he has a double backflip that nobody else does. I mean, in competition. And it has got to the point that when he does a double backflip, the crowd almost literally boos him. And you think, why? No one else is doing this. I mean, he goes out and flips his motorcycle two times backwards in the air and lands and the crowd is just, you know, they're just sighing. Just show us something we hadn't seen. And I'm not saying it's a sin to go out and jump your motorcycle backwards two times in the air because it is something that I truly love. But what I am saying is sin is a facet that has touched every part of human life that we touch. It is something that literally says, I desire more than you can give. It is in every area that we touch. And it is just like him. It's just the crowd has said, we're tired of that. We're tired of two backflips in the air. We know you've done three, let alone it took you one year to get to this. We're tired of two. Nobody else is doing it, but we're tired of seeing you do it. But that is the sin in us. And there again, I'm just drawing a parallel to it of how we are if we let things go. That's why preachers have said for years, you can make a sin out of anything. And it is truth. It is so true if you let it go. And it is just astounding to me that someone could go out and risk their life and someone just sit there and just say, is that all you've got? Literally. You've just risked your life and I'm bored. And that is what the crowd says because you just not, you just cannot fulfill this need called sin because it always will demand more than what we can give. If he goes out and does three, then they're going to be bored and say, we know four is somewhere in the works. We know you went 80 foot in the air to do three. We believe if you go 100, you could do four. But that's just humanity. That's just us. That's why in our country that happened years ago, it is just something there is a real enemy, it's a real problem, and you have to deal with it. If you leave it alone, then we see the results of what happens. It is something that has to be dealt with. And it's the same way in the church. If he quit preaching on everything and just says, and embrace it like the world says. Just love God and love one another. You wouldn't recognize us in a few in a few months, probably. You cannot get that way. Sin is sin, and you have to recognize it as that. You have to say, "I'm not going to let it get a hold of me. 
I will put a stop to this no matter what it takes. Because it, you just, if we look at ourselves in the mirror and, and it's just like I have seen, you know, I, I remember some some um, my classmates I hadn't seen in probably over 20 years. And I'm just probably just like you. I'm just assuming that. And when I first seen them, I thought, boy, how have they changed? Because I look at myself in the mirror every day. I'm not saying that, you know, I gained five pounds in the face and 30 pounds on the side. And, you know, I see that every day. I wasn't the little slim guy I was the last time they seen me. But my reaction was, how have they changed? But what I didn't notice is a little bit wider eyes getting every day. But that's just the way sin is. We'd let just a little bit by. And every day we think, I'm okay. I'm okay. I go to church and I feel a little bit. You know, God is still God. He's still true. I'm still going to a truth church and not knowing that though we seem all right, we're not all right. And because we're just going and we're going and we're thinking, you know, I'm okay. You know, I'm looking in the mirror and everything's fine. We can't do that. We can't do that. We must stay sensitive to the Lord. And, and when we get to the point that we want to be like everybody else, and you know, that's why God told, told Israel, he said he told the prophet Samuel, you tell them what all. Samuel told them 30 reasons why they shouldn't have a king. And when he got through, it's like he shouldn't even open his mouth. They said, you know what? We still want a king. God said, give them a king. And he did. He gave them Saul. And that's why I quoted to you here a while back. In, in 1 Samuel 16, when God said, told the prophet, said, you go to the house of Jesse, for it is in the house of Jesse that I have provided for me a king. <sighs> Meaning I've picked me a bloodline. I have provided me a bloodline. God wasn't saying, I want a king. He said, it's one of these days, you ain't going to go offer a sacrifice. I'm going to be the sacrifice. And I want a bloodline, and it's going to start with him. So I've provided me a king, and it's going to be through him. So God did do that. And I, and I want to read in Thessalonians, but there's, but there's two verses that I truly love, and I want to read them to you first. If, if you don't want to turn, just read on the scripture. Isaiah, if you're ever down... I'm telling you, if the world has beat you to a pulp, go read these two verses. It's Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. And now what I want you to do is notice the contrast. This is God's, the Holy Ghost anointed Isaiah to write this to his people. Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And where is a house that you would build unto me? See, this is still in the time of the temple. Where is the house that you would build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Two, for all those things have my hand made. And in all those things that have been made, or all these things have been, saith the Lord. But this, but, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Now he's telling, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool and you want to build me a house? And God is saying, you can't do that. Where is the place of my rest that you could put me? Where could you put me? 
You couldn't provide literally. But God is saying the whole time he is trying to get through and he's given his people types and shadows that the place, and, and, and Paul even told us that we are gonna have this treasure in an earthen vessel. He says, where is the house that you would build for me? But it's to man. He said, it is to this man that I will look, even to him that is poor. And that means literally what it says. Even to him that is poor, to him that is in need, and that is of a contrite spirit, that means literally, if you follow that all the way to the end, that means lame. To him that literally means uh, of a lame spirit, or other words, I would say it like this. To him that has the ability to know the ravages of sin, what it has done to humanity. To him that knows just what sin has done to humanity. And to him that trembleth at my word. To him that will respect and reverence my word. God said that. You think I want anything that you could? You couldn't give me nothing. What I desire is to dwell in those that I've created. And at this point, it wasn't time. But it's going to be time. God was saying, that is where I look. That is my desire. That's why he told Samuel, the prophet, you go to the house of Jesse, for I provided me a king. It's going to start. That bloodline is going to start. And there is what I'm going to do. And this will I look. The contrast is unreal. God said, look, look. Look as far as you can see. I don't desire that. In fact, my hands have made it. I don't desire it. If heaven was my throne and earth was my footstool, you couldn't provide no place of rest for me. The place I desire is someone in need, someone that has known the effect of sin and someone that will reverence my word. Someone, that's why I believe God loved David so much that David knew, knew that just the, the God, the God of Israel. I believe David knew and reverenced the God of Israel. That's why the contrast is so great here. It's when you put it to what God was saying, and then here's man. God said, You really want to know what I want? This is what I desire. And that's what he did want. Now, I'll go to what I want to speak about. If you will turn with me. To Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians two, and I'm gonna go back up to the beginning in just a minute. But first, I want to jump. This is speaking. Paul is speaking here, and he's speaking of the the mystery. He's speaking basically of the Antichrist. But where I'm going, I'm going to ten, chapter Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse ten. And he says this, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them excuse me, strong delusion that they should believe a lie and that it might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now 12 is the answer to 10. That is the reason that 12 is the answer to 10. That's the reason that they was not saved is that they had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
Now, my title is Our Safeguard. That's literally, this is our safeguard. When it comes to the end, there is no other way that I know how to put it. We got to have a safety net, and Jesus Christ is our safety net. It is, it is, this is where we are going uh, to have to draw the lines with the world. I hate to put it that way, but we are. We are different. We are different in doctrine. We are not the same doctrine as the world. We are different, and we are not different just to be different. We are different. We believe the Bible, and we are not different just to be different. We are different because of what the Bible says, and it's not in... in I mean that in the sincerest way. The people I speak to, I tell them, don't you believe me. You believe the Bible. I go with what the Bible says. Let God be true and ever man a liar. And I'll stick with that till I die. This is truth. This is what everything has to be based upon. This is the benchmark in which everything has to be based on what every bit of preaching, every bit of prophecy, everything that is said has to be based, lined up against this book. And if it does not measure against this book, then it is wrong, period. No two ways about it. If the guy is calling fire down from heaven, if he's performing miracle after miracle, but what he is saying does not measure with this book, you leave him alone. Because this book is the ultimate measure of a man or a woman. It has got to be that way. And Paul, basically, what he is telling the Thessalonian church, from what I get out of it, when you go back up to number one, and I will in a minute, apparently the Thessalonians had in their mind that the rapture had already taken place. They had already been shaken and stirred, and they was being led astray. And Paul is there basically straightening them out with this word. And he's telling them, you can't do that. You cannot be led astray. There has got to be something that holds you, that does not move, that will not change, that will not be up and down, that will not be left or right, that has to be a bedrock that does not change. And we need that. We need that. We need something that don't change. And I know in, in, in Romans, in Romans chapter one, this, I don't know what, no other way to put it. This is the vilest, some or some of the vilest condition of humanity there is in scripture is Romans chapter one. And when you read when you read of it, it begins, they refused to worship and they was unthankful. It's where it started in them. And they refused basically to walk in the light that they was provided and the only thing left was darkness. Now, God gave them over to the sincere desires of their heart, the Bible tells us, and basically, when you walk in enough darkness, everything just seems right. You have no moral compass. Just everything seems right. It's just basically what happens. Everything seems okay. Now, the Bible tells us that God gave them up basically to their own desires over to a reprobate mind. Now, let's read, let's go back and read one and two, Second Thessalonians. 
Now he says, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the gathering together unto him that you soon that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor nor by word nor as by letter as from us that as the day of Christ is at hand. Now, he says to the Thessalonian church, he says, don't be shaken in mind. That's literally taken as a reference from a ship on a sea that is shaken where there is not no control. In other words, where the captain of the ship cannot contain the ship. The sea is too strong and the ship is going anywhere it wants to go. So he said the Thessalonians had got to this point. They believed the rapture, as we would call it, had already taken place and things was chaos. In other words, they didn't have no reference to reference anything. They didn't have no Bible, so to speak. What they believed is what was being told. And he says, nor by spirit, and that spirit is spirit of prophecy. That's why I said, you have got to judge anyone or any man or woman by this book. He said by spirit, and that is spirit of prophecy, or by word, or by word of mouth. And then where he says, as by letter, as from us. Now that is important. Paul is telling them, he's saying if, if you have some guys and them jerkers come around saying, you know what, we're part of them. Yeah, oh Paul, me and him's tight. You know, we, I was just with him a couple weeks ago. Don't believe them. As letter, as from us. He said, do not believe them. Do not believe them. He said, but all you're doing is troubling yourself. And then he tells them, the day of Christ has not happened. And then in verse three, he starts off, let no man deceive you by any means. I know I harp on this a lot, but I'm telling you, this book is our safeguard. It will judge and it's gonna be our judge. So it is what we have to, and I hate to use the word judge, but when it comes to your soul, you better judge somebody. It is gonna be the judge that what is judging us in the final end. So Paul says, you're being shaken. You're being stirred. You're being troubled by something that is wrong. He says, you have false prophets among you. They are telling you something that is not Bible. They're telling you something that is not true. And it has stirred and it has shaken you to the point that is unnecessary. And your soul is at stake. So you must guard against that. No, let no man deceive you. So he's telling them, he says, you've got to watch this. And you can't do that. Let her ask from us. And then, I... And I want, don't judge me harshly for saying this. I won't use a man's word, but I just want to say it. And, 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 and I will be kind. There is a man uh, today. He's on every media there is possible. Uh, a minister preaches a lot, and he says, and I quote, Anytime the word God is used in the Bible, anytime the word God is used in the Bible, we must first stop and see what that God relates to. Is it God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost? Let no man deceive you. Now, 
I want to read, if you want to turn, or it's, it's, it's Old Testament, so if you want to just follow on the screen. I want to read some verses to you, two passages. One is in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28, 14. So if you want to just follow on the screen. Ezekiel 28, 14. Thou art the anointed cherubim that cumbereth. Now what that is taken from, you know on the Ark of the Covenant, on the Ark of the Covenant, you've seen pictures of it where the two angels faced each other and their wings covered. That's what this is taken from. (laughs) Them covered the most holiest thing there was and that was the presence of God that what this is talking about or that's what it's taken from thou art the anointed cherub that covereth I have set thee so thou was upon the holy mountain of God and thou walkest up and down in the midst of the stones of fire thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity iniquity was found in thee by the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled in the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned therefore I will cast thee as profaned out of the mountain of God and I will destroy thee O covering cherubim from the midst of the stones of fire and 17 thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness thy brightness I will cast thee to the ground and I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Now I'm going to Isaiah and I want to read in 14, 12. And where it says here, Lucifer, that is the only time in scripture that word is used is here. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou didst say in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Now, It's truly amazing. I don't, I don't really have the answer. What happened? All I know is what the Bible records is that the enemy that we faced was drop kicked out of heaven. And he, you can read in Genesis, God told him from the very beginning, there's gonna be war between the seed of man and you. And it has been war ever since. And he is not our friend. He is our enemy. And he will be our enemy and God, until God cast him into the lake of fire. That will not change. And as soon as I think any other way, I am deceived. He will be my enemy and your enemy until the very end. That is what the Bible tells us. That will not change. He has no good for us, nothing in us. He's just, I will, I will, I will. 
and just food for thought. Do you know what the first I will of God is? All Satan says, I will do this, I will do that. The first I will of God is when, when God created Eve for Adam. That was the first I will of God that he did. So he tells him, and Lucifer was, the, was apparently a covering cherubim in, in the Bible of some sort. And like I say, I don't, I don't know. But what I want to share with you now, this is, as I told you before, this is my opinion. And if I had to give a commentary, this is what it would be. So don't come to me and tell me I'm wrong after church. Because this is just my opinion. This is not Bible. This is my opinion. Okay. Now, this is the way I see it. I love Genesis. And I've grew to love Revelation just as much. But where the Bible says in Genesis, the Bible says in one, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He just spits it out. That's what I done. I created the heavens and the earth. Two, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, the first thing God did literally was his spirit, the Holy Ghost, moved upon the face of the waters. We have Bible on that. That is the first thing God did. There was some kind of chaos, and God took his spirit and moved. We know that for sure. Three, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's what he done. Now, I'll come back to that. Four, and God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Now, three, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, my question here lately has been, what was that light? I believe that light was a spiritual light. I don't believe it was light as we know it, because the light as we know it wasn't created until the fourth day when God created the, the sun and the moon and the others. That was created the fourth day. We're still in the first day. God said, let there be light. The first thing he did was his spirit moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And then in first thing he did in four, he divided the light. That is very important. The light from the darkness, not the darkness from the light. He divided, divided the light from the darkness, putting in precedence that light would always have a commanding over the darkness. This precedent can never be changed. Never be changed. Never. This is something that God set from the very before man was even created. This cannot, and I'll come back to Romans where it states where man was sent over to reprobate. I'll give you that. But this cannot be changed. God put that. He said he separated or divided in for verse five, and God called the, the light day and the darkness night and the evening and the morning was the first day. I believe he did that for our benefit. God gave the light and the day for something for us and that's what he named it. He named the light day and the darkness night. Now, what my view of the way I like to look at this, I like to look at everything's in terms of mercy. The Bible says that Adam and Eve was, was they was, Created, God created them. He created Eve. He brought her to Adam. They was naked and unashamed. Now, what I believe, this is my theory, what I believed is the, re <laughs> the reason I believe the Bible says 
that they was unashamed as I believe they was clothed in the holiness of God because I believe that light, that spiritual light, that's why I believe it says they was naked and unashamed because the first thing God asked them is who told you you was naked? I believe the holiness of God. That's why that I, I, I don't get some people when they, when they downplay holiness because holiness shields us from so much of the ugliness of sin. It shields us. And, and I believe that's why that when the, they was tempted to sin and they did sin, right then is when they felt the shame of sin. And then that light, that holiness of God was removed from them. And that's when they felt the ugliness of sin. That's when they knew that they was naked. But up to that point, I see them as clothed in that light that God provided that first day that he created light, that spiritual light. Now, that's my belief. And I believe in the Bible where it says, in Romans, where man was so vile, and I believe with everything that's in me, the precedent can't be changed. Light will always rule over the darkness. The Bible says that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That doesn't mean the darkness overtook the light. What it means is they got so vile, they, re- they resisted God so much that God removed the light And all it was left was darkness. They did not override the light. They they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. God said, you don't want me, I will remove me. So the Bible says every man is born with a measure of faith. We have the ability to believe God. Anyone, anyone has the ability. If we must believe the Bible, we are born with a measure of faith. So I believe when in, in Romans 1, what happens is God removed the light and all that was left was utter darkness. So therefore, when you they took, they kept going, everything they'd done, they had no compass, they had nothing to set them right, they didn't know what right or wrong was. Now, Am I saying somebody at this point couldn't be saved? I would never say that. Who's to say what God would or would not do? I would not never say that. But at this point, I know what the Bible says. I believe the light that God provided, he removed, and all that was left was darkness. That's what I believe. He convinced them to believe a lie. That's why, that's why that it was really... It was really, and my point is really this. He says in Second Thessalonians 11, For this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Okay, what lie? I'm sorry, that's just the way I think. They should believe what lie? The same lie I believe, here again, this is me, I believe the same lie that Satan told Eve and Adam in the very beginning. God is not really God. He's not really God. He is not really God. And I believe that man is still doing it. 
what would man, if, if they had within themselves, I believe that's what Romans is getting to the point of saying, that if there is no God, then it does not dictate how you live. You can do anything you want to do. You will be accountable to no one. There is no God. Do what you want to do. It does not matter who you do or what you do or how you do it or who you hurt. There's no God. You're not accountable to no one. So God said he would give them over. He would send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And the Bible says be damned. In other words, the light that was in them, you keep bucking it. Just keep bucking it. And God said, I'll remove the light. What little bit of compass you have, I'll take it away. And you can believe the lie. But this is our only safeguard. It's the truth. And the truth is none other than Jesus Christ. Let the world fight us. Let the church world fight us. That's okay. We believe just as the Bible says, there is one God, just as he told Samuel, you go, I'm gonna provide me a bloodline, I'm gonna make me a body, and I am gonna do. That's why I believe revelation is so important. God is telling us, his church, that it is who I am. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is who I am. And they are not gonna like it. They ain't gonna agree with us. It does not matter. We must stay with this word. It has got to be in us. Let this word be through us and in us and literally, just literally soak out our pores. It has got to be that way because God said this is our safeguard. It is what? Because Paul is telling them, he is telling them here, this has troubled you, it has shaken you, it has troubled and shaken and stirred you, but there's no reason for it. There's no reason for it. It is these. Let no man deceive you. Let no man deceive you. Now, turn with me if you would, or if you just want to listen. This is the Lord speaking. In Mark 12, the Lord quotes the Shema, which is none other than the Old Testament. Literally, Shema means to hear. 12:28. Then one of the scribes came, having reason, having heard them reason together and perceived that he answered them, well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Now, what the Lord does here, there's 10 commandments. The first one that he gives them deals with the first four. The second one he tells them deals with the last six. You listen. The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and thy strength. And the second is namely this, And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none greater than these. Now, We just take the Bible at what it says. There's one God. He robed himself in flesh and he is coming again to gather his church. And what stirred the Thessalonian church is they thought they had missed it. And Paul told them, you hadn't missed it. Somebody's been preaching false doctrine to you. And he told them, don't be deceived. Stay in the book because it is our safeguard. It is our hope. It is the reason that we are going to make it. It is the reason. Now, in closing, I will just say this. Last weekend, 
I even hate to bring it up. There was a few people without power. I think we, uh, Thursday evening until Saturday, and, you know, I even was joking with some and just saying I'm looking out the window looking for dinosaurs because I know we've got to be in the Stone Age. But in all seriousness, we lose power for a few days and we just act like our world's been turned upside down. And we're just so, will you not beat me up if I say spoiled? But um, really and truly, in all seriousness, when this thing goes, when this thing starts to happen, in Revelation it says, Behold, I come quickly. That is no lie. When this thing starts to happen, it's going to happen just as the Bible says. And what we are so privileged as of now is to make ourselves ready because we have the time and opportunity to make ourselves ready and to keep ourselves ready. And that's what we want to do. And I appreciate the fact that we're in a church and we're not wanting to throw rocks at other people and we're not wanting to be kind, unkind to no one. But I'm telling you, we're not going to compromise this message. We're not going to compromise this doctrine. We're not going to do it. And we, we are going to believe what the Bible says. We are going to believe and stand on what this word says because it is going to take us to heaven because it has stood the test of time. There's too many too many illustrations in God's word where he has just told his people against overwhelming odds, you face your enemy and then I'll see you through it because God will give us the strength and the hope and the stability to face whatever's put in front of us with power or without it. (laughs) So I love you and I appreciate you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.